Is that okay with you, Chris? Just kind yeah, of. You, can do what, you guys can do whatever you want. I'm pretty mellow. Right. Is it okay, Zach? Yeah, yeah. Chris, do you have a, a time that you need to be done by? No, we'll just talk. We'll see how it goes. Cool. You know? Perfect. As soon, as soon as I get bored of you guys, yeah. I'll <laughs> so Hopefully, we make it more than 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Let's We're not going to talk about meat, are we? Are we no, about- no, no, that's, no. That's crazy talk. <laughs> Hey man, let's let's let's, let's record, okay? We're good. Yeah, we're rolling. Yeah. Oh, we're rolling already. Hey Chris, <laughs> I just got back from buying a bunch of uh, uh, steaks at the grocery store on sale. You're a Costco man. You love them yeah. Costco steaks, don't you? Yeah, I I really do like the Costco steaks. I think um, you know after actually listening to you on Joe Rogan, I made a decision that um, maybe I was being duped by all these people that said it has to be grass fed. You know, it's it's going to be better for you. Um, even in today, I was interviewing Charles Poliquin, who's a guy I really look up to. And, um, he was telling me today, like, it's the quality of the meat, you know, it's all about the quality of the meat. And then I asked him and he said, you know, realistically, like when you break down quality of meat, the only thing he's really talking about is don't eat processed meat. But he's like, other than that, like every, you know, everything's kind of fair game. And it's really interesting when I hear you talk about it, cause I talk, I hear the difference not being that great. And so like, I'm pretty far away from my goal that I want to get to. And so um, I, I don't think it's that important for me to eat grass-fed steak at this point. I don't, I don't think it has to be that. Well, I mean, Costco, I mean, those steaks taste good, man. They, they, they got, I mean, they, I, you know, I'll tell you, my, my girlfriend actually, uh, the company she works for, she sells stuff to Costco, and they, they, they're pretty tough on their, on, their, on their product control and their quality. So, you know, you're getting that's good quality I, stuff. And, you know, that's, and that's what I saw, like, a while back when I started, like, looking more into uh, – where to get meat and stuff like that. And I, I just found the best tasting stuff was at Costco. The best burger meat and the best uh, steaks I found were at Costco. And you can spend a lot more money on steak. Uh, there's some steaks I, I bought off the internet for like, you know, 200 bucks a steak or something just to try it. And, um, you know, it wasn't really that much worth it. You know, it, it's amazing. The good steak, it's really worth, it really is amazing, but it's not worth that much more. It's money. not $200 worth it. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's crazy. Hey, um, so Chris Bell, for you guys that don't know, Chris is a outstanding documentary filmmaker, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, which would kind of put you on the map, and then you follow that up with Trophy Kids, far, uh, uh, Prescription Thugs. You got a new one that just came out called Leaf of Faith, which is about Kratom, and then you're in, in process of, of another one going on. But you, you, you know, your whole family, you know, you guys, well, this is, we call this the Outliers podcast, Human Performance Outliers, you, you, your whole family, because you got Mark in there doing the crazy powerlifting stuff and, and all the stuff yeah. he's doing now, you know, your older brother, unfortunately, was a, was a wrestler and passed away, and then you did all the powerlifting, and so you're used to this extreme, you know, extremes of human existence, and, and I know being around the bigger, stronger, faster crowd with Mark, you get, you get the freaks every day, I mean, you're running yeah. into these people that are just absolute, you know, you know, yeah. off the spectrum of it, normal humanity. The people that Mark and I have been able to become friends with, are it's pretty amazing. If you look at uh, all walks of life and all the things that people do, for example, you hold world records. I'm talking to two guys that hold world records. Two guys, not just one. <laughs> two guys, right? And then uh, this morning I met with, with uh, Charles Poliquin, who's like a legend in, in the training world. And like Mark and I have had the blessing to be able to be around so many great people. That What's funny is that uh, you call... You call us outliers. I just call it, that's my friends. Because you know, every, everybody, almost everybody I know does something crazy. Even if you look at a guy like Joe Rogan, you see him kick that bag and kick that thing like harder than anybody. You know, So it's like everybody I know is like really, really good at 
something. Otherwise, I probably uh, didn't pick him up as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking, you know, Chris and I had a phone call before the start. We were talking about your crazy, 100-mile craziness, Zach. I mean, we're just like, we're just like, how the hell would, you know, that's just such an extreme. We're trying to trying to find the equivalent on a strength training world and where that would be, you know, because you – and Chris and, and uh, Zach is very humble about it, but I mean, the guy, you know, running a hundred miles, seven minutes a mile constantly. I mean, that, that is just bizarre. Uh, you know, and it, it's really, I mean, it's, I mean, a lot of people say it's just a sickness and we're all a bunch of crazy, you know, diseased people that have this pathology in our brain that makes us want to do this crazy stuff. But I mean, but at the same time, it's a lot of fun. Well, it yeah, is. I don't know. I think we all have different levels too, right? Like different levels of like what we can take and what we can do. Um, you guys were talking about that woman. I think she ran like 200 and something miles or whatever, right? Like there's there's just people that can do things and it doesn't cause as much stress as it does to a normal person and they're able to do it. So like I, I would say like if you're able to do it, why not give it a shot? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's like you said, Chris, like you surround yourself with like kind of people that are doing similar things or doing, I guess, crazier, goofy things and you start to kind of normalize that in your mind and then – you know, then you, you talk to someone who doesn't, and they're, you know, they're just, they kind of freak out about it, and they're like, well, you do what? And then you're like, yeah, it does, you kind of have to remember that you're kind of not normal in that sense, where, like, not everyone is looking on the internet to find their next 100-mile race, or, like, no, people aren't always going to the weight room and pulling 500-plus pounds off the ground. <laughs> you know so, what, I, what I really like about you, Zach, is that you probably don't know this, but in the world like I exist in, lifting and other things, like I already knew about you because everybody in lifting was talking about the keto diet. Mm. And they're talking about, well, you know, it, it might be good for, you know, they, they were talking about like it might be good for endurance because of you. Like everybody cites you as an sure. example, somebody <laughs> that uses this. So I, I had already like heard about you and, and knew about you from uh, the keto world, which is that's a pretty profound impact to make it from the runner's world over to the meathead world like that doesn't <laughs> happen that's why i'm glad you guys are doing this podcast and we can bring some people together and make things more inclusive rather than you know exclusive yeah you know and that was kind of our i think our angle when sean and i first connected was well let's take two people that are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum from the athletic pursuits um but kind of have a similar nutrition approach and you know kind of see like well where do we diverge and where do we kind of merge and in, in all these things so it's, it's been interesting so far and um you know we've been fortunate to have some pretty cool guests including yourself so um we're we're really excited about it yeah we got some good ones coming hey hey chris tell me because you said you're, you're hanging out with coach pollock when what, what did you learn from him I, is he gonna did he convert you into veganism or anything like that or what's uh no opposite i mean he um he's definitely a big fan of meat uh, one thing I always take away, like that one thing that you would put in a movie trailer from from each person I talk to, and I think the one thing that um, he said that just stuck out into me in my head was that in Greek, um, protein. Uh, I forget exactly what it means, but protein means like like have it first, like you're supposed. Um, protein first is like a thing in in like Greek where like you know the protein comes first. It means like to eat that first. And so I was like, that's really interesting. I, I forget the exact translation, but he basically said, like, um, that in, in Greek, you, put, you know, they, from way back in the day, they put, they've always put in the meat up front, like at the forefront of the diet. And um, I just been talking to some of his guys and, and uh, asking a lot of people, you know, what they do for, um, for their nutrition. It seemed like everybody following Pollock 
is all about like, you know, eating meat and keeping meat at the center of the diet. And that's what I took away from when I interviewed you. Um, I wasn't sure I, what I, what I had done, I've been doing this movie for like about six months and, um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to interview Dr. Baker. I should probably go on a carnivore diet and let me see what's up. So when I first talked to you, I said, let, let's try two weeks. We're now sitting at five months here. And I've mm-hmm. completely changed my body fat, the way I look, you know, uh, my blood work, uh, all sorts of things. By uh, I was doing keto; it was great, but by I I, I would say I still do keto. I, I wouldn't even say I'm strict uh, carnivore. I'm not 100% meat on a plate like you are, but it's it's like 90%. And I think that's really important is to tell people like, hey, this is at the center, and then like around it, I might have an avocado or an apple or something like that. But I'm actually always in that uh, what we call metabolic flexibility, able to uh, burn some sugar if I need to, but mainly burning fat all the time. Yeah, I think Zach takes a similar approach with that. And it's kind of interesting, you know, because when you, I think it was back in December or something, shortly after I was in Rogue, you kind of hit up with me and you said, I'm going to try it for a week. I said, man, give it a month, you know, just, you know try it. And I'm, like and I'm, glad, I'm, well, I'm glad you did because, you know, I know you said you had a lot of trouble with things like arthritis and, you know, you had your hips replaced and all the, all the kind of health issues you had. And it seems to me like a lot of those things have gotten better since you've done that. And I agree with you totally. You know, I, I never said everybody on the planet has to be 100% of meat, 100% all the time. But what it does do, in my view, is it gives you a very nice reset. It kind of shows you where you are nutritionally. It helps you with nutrition. Meat is excellent nutrition. That's the first, that's the first thing. But, but beyond that, you can, you know, some people will have gut problems that they can heal up with that. And then they can kind of see what they tolerate. And, and I think you should find that out. I think it's ultimately you should do what works for you. And, you know, what you're doing, you know, you're kind of doing what, what you know, kind of staying efforting is kind of a little hybrid of that where you guys are including a little bit of fruit, fruit here and there and, and, you know, just kind of kind of doing that. That's totally fine in my view. And so I, think I also I also would like to tell everybody because people are like, oh, you eat fruit, right? Like they think it's crazy. It's like kind of throwing me way off or whatever. I eat a little bit of fruit, right? So mm-hmm. for me saying like I eat fruit, it's maybe uh, two pieces of fruit a day. Um, that would be at the most. I also find that um, – when I tend to slip away from the true carnivore, like all, what's nice about carnivores, all you have to do to get back in is just go right back to steak on a plate. But if I do have, like there's some things that I get tempted by, nut butter is one of them. It's the worst thing to ever keep around your house. If, you're trying to, if, if, if weight loss is the goal, it's a bad thing to keep around because you'll just keep eating it um, and it's very you know, calorically uh, dense and then like fruit those are the two things and then like together that's the worst so for a while I was doing like carnivore but I was eating like you know fruit and apples at at night and then the I would end up eating like three apples because I loved it with peanut butter on it and I you know so I had to recenter that because that wasn't working for me so when, when you, the carbs hey, crack up the weight yeah, I was going to say, when you say it's not working for you, it's just a body composition or thing. Are you noticing anything else? You know, are you noticing any other sort of, sort of ill effects? No, I, actually, um, the, actually, the way I feel is great. So, you know, um, the, the one thing I should say with fruit is every once in a while, it'll give you some issues with your digestion. Um, it'll definitely throw a monkey wrench in there. Uh, when I just eat steak on a plate, it, what's crazy is everybody thinks that you're going to get constipated from just, you know, eating the meat. But when you just eat meat, everything's fine. It's like when I eat meat and I throw in an apple, all of a sudden my stomach will start rumbling like there's something in here that it's not used to or whatever, right? And that could happen as a result of like not eating fruit for a long time, you know, or whatever. I think I eat it regularly enough, but it definitely does 
um, throw a monkey wrench into my digestion for sure. Like certain things I eat. Zach, you have a, you know, like I said, I told you, you, you have kind of a sort of a similar approach with, with what you're doing. I mean, you cycle in carbs, you cycle in different things. You go pretty low carb, zero carb, all meat at periods of time for recovery. And you're noticing that I think, I think in general, this is a, the, the kind of the recurrent thing I've seen with a lot of people, a lot of people that try the carnivore diet, not everybody stays with it strictly long-term, but most of the people that do it keep meat very centered in their diet. I mean, they, they stick to it and they, they, they say, yeah, you know, I miss this and that. I miss having some dark chocolate. I miss my avocados. They include that, but they end up staying, you know, 80% meat, something like that, because they, they, they really enjoy the nutrition. And I think that is something I, I that's really, I, I really think you're on to something. You know, I really, really do. I think that, um, you know, I told you that in 1995, I did a red meat and water diet, you know. Um, it's something that's it's, it's been around forever. Uh, you've brought in a great amount of um, popularity to it and you've also brought a great amount of excitement and the reason I say excitement is because you have information when Mark and I were doing it back in the day we had zero information on if what we were doing was healthy I remember um, this is only like about two years ago I was at a an event um, for Gold's Gym it was like a bunch of Gold's Gym people hanging out and I was talking to my friend Adam Friedman and he had told me he'd been in ketosis for seven months and I was like checking his pulse to see if he was going to die. You know, like, I was like, dude, you've been in ketosis for seven months. You know what that can do to you? And so I was just like everybody else. Like I had tried ketogenic diets. They worked great for me. I tried the no carb diet. I did Dan Duchesne's body opus diet, which is a crazy version of keto. Yeah, I've done it all and it, and it all had worked, but I thought that you had to cycle it. I thought that no matter what, your body would need carbs after like five days and then you had to go back on it. When I found out that you didn't need any carbs ever. That was that was for me the revelation that sort of sparked uh, me learning a lot more. What I realized is that when I realized that you don't need carbohydrates every day, I also realized I don't know anything, and I need to learn. Uh, if I want to get myself in shape and I want to be healthy, I need to learn and I need to teach myself all this stuff. So much of it, I think, too, is just like it gets it's kind of psychological. People like. They, they see all meat diet and right away they start thinking about what they can't have as opposed to like what they can have and how they would maybe feel if they would switch to that, to that type of a protocol. And, you know, for, for guys like us, I think we're all curious enough where we're like, well, if it's going to make me feel a lot better, if it's going to recover faster, if it's make me perform better, I'm going to try it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, I can always go back. Whereas, you know, I think a lot of people need to kind of get past that first hump. And, you know, I was kind of like that at first too when I first tried a ketogenic diet um, almost seven years ago where my first thought was like, oh, well, I'm going to have to stop eating potatoes. And I think about that now, I think how ridiculous that is. And now it's like when I do try to bring back like a sweet potato or something like that to try to um, get a little bit of that kind of top end gear for like a, a big workout or something, I actually don't look forward to eating it. I do it just because I... Um, I'm more or less trying to execute a workout and less so that I actually really want to eat that. So um, it's really fascinating how kind of the mind flips a switch eventually when you do kind of dial in something that's working really well for you. I think it's hilarious that you say that. And the other day, I, um, I deadlifted 500 pounds. So first of all, let's talk a little bit of numbers, right? I met Dr. Baker. Um, I had just done a deadlift competition at my brother's gym. I have two fake hips, so excuse my shitty numbers. But I, I deadlifted. I, I did it because it was my brother's meet at his gym. 
you know, we want to make a good gesture, like, hey, we're all doing this, let's go. So my brother said, hey, you, ha you have to deadlift. I don't care what you lift, just go in it and deadlift. So I did, you know, 405 in that. Um, and that was that was actually the most I could do. I couldn't. I hadn't tried over 405 in years. Uh, stayed on the on the carnivore diet. Last week I pulled 500 on a trap bar, and it was super easy. And then I pulled 515 after that, and that was about my max. But my the reason why I was able to do that is I feel so good. When Dr. Baker was at Super Training at my brother's gym, he was doing these deadlifts, and after he deadlift, he would jump and jump and jump. He was doing this crazy, this crazy routine. He's deadlifting 500 and then jumping. And I just remember looking at going like, that is so crazy. Like I could never do that. And now I'm thinking like, that's what I need to get to. Like I, I need to do the same workout that Dr. Baker was doing. I just, I just wasn't there yet. You know, like I, I feel like my strength maybe not come back as strong as, as him, uh, but I can get back up to my top potential again. And I know that I can. I, I feel like what happened was um, I gave up and I died before I was dead. And I think a lot of a lot of us do that. We give up, we quit. So I had bad hips. I became a drug addict. I became an alcoholic. And the easy thing to do is sit home and watch TV. The hard thing to do is to like, I swear to God when I say this, it takes every single ounce of energy and passion in my body to make myself get out the door to do deadlifts. Like it takes... I, it's like mustering up an army, and it takes time. I have to like put on music. I have to get fired up because it hurts so bad to deadlift <laughs> that I have to go through this pain period to get there. But to me, every time I do it, it's always worth it, and I always I always feel better. So like, it's not like it's it's so um, physically uh, painful that I that I can't do it. It's it's there's a about a, and Dr. Baker might know this from being an orthopedic surgeon. There's about a two, about a, a second or so that it hurts really bad in the hip joint. So when I deadlift, there's like there's one spot where it just really kills, you know, every single time, and I just I just dread that, you know, and I I have to plow through that mentally even to uh, get myself into the gym and do it. But every time I do it, it's always worth it. Uh, all my numbers have gone up since I've been on a carnivore diet. All of my joints feel better, and. Um, I, I just feel great, and I, I love lifting again. And for a long time, I lost that. When I said I died before I was dead, I just gave up on everything, lifting, my diet, you know, everything. And once once one thing came back, it all comes back. Yeah, I mean, it's because you, you touched on, uh, you know, addiction and, and, and all that stuff. And, and let me, you know, because you had, you know, at, at some point, you know, after you Bigger, Stronger, Faster came out, I'm sure you had, you know, had a lot of success, a lot of things coming at you at one time. Do you think that contributed a little bit to to the road you took as far as you know maybe going out making making the wrong choices and having this more opportunities? Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's why I said I mean that's what you hear it all the time. You know, these guys that kind of really get popular and then they get all this sort of stuff going thrown at them. And it's, it just it, it kind of messes with you. And you have to if you're not real grounded, whether it's just in you know, who you are, or even even you know. And I, I will continue to say I think diet has a big role in our in our mental processing, our mental health, and and there's a lot of addiction addiction behavior that goes into diet because food addiction, in my view, and there's a lot of people who are addicted to food, is one of the hardest addictions to overcome because you have to eat. You, you know, you don't have they to have shoot up heroin. You don't have to drink alcohol, but you do have to eat, and you have to face it every few hours. And yeah. so, I mean, that's a, that's a whole different side of this this sort of addiction pathology. But you know, so you had the success, bigger, stronger, faster. Then you went down this road of 
you know, maybe some of the pain with the pain pills, and I don't know if you were alcohol or whatever other stuff that was going on, but you got through it. Uh, you know, you told me you went to rehab, and I can't remember you said the food was kind of stupid food. You know, it's like, why are we I feeding actually, rehab? I, yeah. I started keto um, in rehab, and I actually feel that that, I, I think there's uh, in the future coming up, and if I have the opportunity to do this through some of the people I know, if we could institute a ketogenic diet in rehab, it would, it would change the addiction game. It would it would turn at 180 so fast. These kids are broken. They're hurt. Their souls are crushed. They feel like shit. They feel bad about themselves. They have no self-esteem. They have no self-confidence. When I went into uh, rehab at Cliffside Malibu, we had to like do things that inspire us. Talk about things that inspire us. And you know, we had all these kids there. They couldn't even think of anything that you know inspired them. There I am, I'm giving them quotes from the Ultimate Warrior and stuff like that. And, People thought I, I was crazy, but after a while, all these uh, kids that were in rehab, I had about four or five of them, they started coming to the gym with me in the morning. I had a whole group of people. I had people doing keto with me. I had everybody throwing away the, their buns in rehab because I was saying, like, hey, if you get rid of this stuff, you'll feel better. And, you know, people feel better instantly, and that's what they don't they don't realize. When you go from eating, uh, you know, people are eating Captain Crunch every day, and they go to eating, uh, you know, some, some good grass-fed meat or chicken or whatever and things start to, to clear up real quick you know yeah I mean that I mean that's that's the foundation and I totally agree and I think we're gonna have George dr. George Eaton on the podcast coming up here later in a few months and she's big into to, to the, uh, the impact that nutrition has on, on mental health and I think if you do not get that that basic need covered and nutrition is one of our foundational needs you know it's, it's like breathing you know uh, food sleep and a few other basic things that we have to have as human beings. Yeah. If your nutrition is not there, you can't expect all those advanced things to, to, to fall yeah. into place. So I agree with you on that idea of, you know, you've got a couple good nutrition with, 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 with and, a rehab experience. And, you know, we, we can't go back into the past, obviously, and, and fix things. Um, but if I could, I, I would have loved for uh, Mad Dog to have done this. You know, Mad Dog had tried a ketogenic diet, but uh, he was bipolar. And, like, what do we know now about, like, mental health and keto and, and the way, and I, I'm not saying it could have saved him or he'd still be here today, but, you know, not knowing, not knowing drives me every day to keep bringing this to more people because people are like, why, why are you so obsessed with how I eat? I'm obsessed with how you eat because you're going to end up in my hospital on my bill, but we want, we just want, in, in all reality, it's not about that. It's about like, I love people. I want to see people prosper and grow and Dr. Baker, I have to commend you. Like the one thing that Dr. Baker has done for me is texted me, texted my cousin, and texted me about my mom. You know, every every three days, like, how's your mom doing? Is she feeling better? How's your cousin doing? Is he feeling better? And my cousin went on a um, carnivore diet, and it's something that really needs to be talked about. My cousin Stephen has a really bad problem with blood pressure. Um, his fingers were swollen up like fat little sausages. He's about my height, and he weighs he weighed about 280 pounds when he came to visit me. Well, when he came to visit me, just his luck, Dr. Baker happened to be in town, and my cousin was just hanging out with me on everything that we were doing. So it's like, hey, why don't you come to breakfast with me? So he comes to breakfast, and all of a sudden he's suckered in and eating just meat, because he can't eat. And he's not gonna have the potatoes if we're not having them, that's not cool. So we, we got him involved right away, and my cousin Stephen went from 283 pounds down to like 223 pounds, I think he is now. Wow. This has been, Three months. I, I don't know. It's it's been really a crazy ride for him. Um, his blood pressure reversed. He was going to an obesity doctor, a doctor that 
specializes in obesity. And he went to her and basically said, I have the diet that I'm going to do. <laughs> and you can monitor my numbers, but I'm going to do this, you know. And she thought it was crazy in the beginning. And now she's asking for Dr. Baker's phone number and like, how do I get in touch with this guy? We need to talk to him, that kind of thing. And that to me is fascinating when you can turn somebody around totally, you know. It's all really interesting stuff. And I know like like what you said with like, um, you know, having kind of that group all kind of do it together. I think that is such a powerful like situation because I mean, could you imagine a teenage kid being asked to do that and then they look around and they see everyone else doing the exact opposite. I mean, that's a tough yeah. kind of bump to get over. So when you can get a group of people that say like, oh, like, we're all doing this as a group. Not only do they feel more comfortable, but they also hold themselves accountable because they don't want to let down the other person by deviating from the plan. And so when you, I think that's one of the most positive things about having such readily act, readily, like easy access to people nowadays with social media and stuff. I mean, accountability. With, yeah, accountability, and then just like with uh, with with Sean's stuff too on, online. You know, I know he was pretty. Uh, he he did a deep dive into some of the the carnivore groups on like Facebook and stuff like that, and like like there's a place for you to go if you're interested and you want to find out more. And, and these people are very passionate about it, so they're going to share you share with you like their experience, pitfalls, and things like that. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool situation to be in. Hey, yeah. Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna just one of the things. The last time I talked to you, I was up there with you know up at Super Training. I can't was it a couple month and a half ago or something. When I did yeah, podcast sure. with Mark. And we were talking about your film, and one of the, the things I really appreciate about what you said was, you know, I don't have, I don't know what the film's going to be about yet. You know, I don't, I'm not doing a propaganda film. You know, like we can, we can compare it to things like What the Health, where they, there, this is a message we're going to say, and we're going to, we're just going to piece the things together to, to, to make this propaganda film. And you said, I'm just going to go interview people and learn stuff. And I talked to Dom D'Agostino and talked to Lane Norton and talked to, you know, myself and, and a bunch of other guys. So what do you what do you kind of where are you headed? Where are you finding out? What kind of stuff are you learning about from all this stuff that you you know you you've talked to all these sure. really really smart guys? You know, all, excluding myself, but I mean all these other guys that uh, you know have a lot of knowledge and, and 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 different experience. So what is what's kind of been the takeaway so far? Well, the takeaway first of all is it's exactly like the Wizard of Oz. It's like, you know, you're basically going on this journey and, and it's with it like this with every film. Each stop you make, you know, you pick up something new, you know, or it turns you around in, in, a, in a different direction. I, I found so far um, in interviewing a lot of people, the one thing that everybody comes back to, um, and I, I can't say that my brother and I actually agree on it. Um, we, we don't agree with people. Uh, everybody talks about being so individualized. And I think it's a, like you, you would say it's kind of a cop-out in a way, because everybody's like, you know what, we just have to, it's so individual, it's so this and that, but you know what, fuck that, eat meat, see what happens, you know what I mean? Like, like seriously, like, everybody's like, it's so individualized, I'm like, okay, so here we have a guy putting everybody on red meat and water, and it's working. Where's the problem? Where's the individuality? Where's, where's the nutrients that are missing? Now, I, I do understand certain people are going to have certain issues that they're coming into this with that they're trying to fix, right? So we might have to like alter the, alter those things, but for the most part, for just somebody to even give it a try, like I think that's what you're really encouraging is like give it a try, see what happens. It seems to work for a lot of people. Uh, rather than people giving it a try, they want to tell you why they can't do it first, and then they want to like tell you why it won't work without ever trying it. And I would say like uh, 
in a way, a lot, a lot of people are guilty of that. Like I've, I've tried enough stuff with my diet to know. I've tried a vegan diet. I've tried, I've tried every, every sort of uh, diet to sort of try to figure out what would work for me. So at least I know that I've done my due diligence in trying uh, different things. I can't just say like this doesn't work. And uh, a lot of people are afraid to say that anything does work. People are just like, well, this could work for this guy, but it might not work for this guy. And I, I get that. I do get that not everything uh, works for everybody uh, at every level. But I think there is enough truth to certain things that will like carry us through. You know, like if we eat a higher fat diet, it tends to do a lot of good things for us. If we eat, you know, lower carb diet, it seems to do a lot of good things for us. It seems to be a lot of these commonalities that we're coming around to, but yet everybody still just wants to say we're so different that we can't have any sort of rules about nutrition. You know, and I, I just think that's false. So we're, we're, it, it's interesting, I should say, you know, we, we don't know where, where we stand yet because we're still like kind of in, in the middle of it, but we're, we're learning things as we go and we're agreeing with a lot of it and we're disagreeing with some of it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I, you know, I kind of, I kind of constantly come back to this point because there's people who are telling you, you know, this is what the science is. And I always say, if we think we know everything, we're being very arrogant and we're fooling ourselves because we don't know yet. There's so much complexity there. There are some basic things, you know, we, we know, you know, you, you can, you know, we can ignore that we evolved, you know, as human beings. No one, doesn't matter what you believe dietary-wise, nobody was eating Twinkies and donuts. I mean, that stuff just didn't exist. So you can just say, that is a universal truth. We should not be eating that stuff. It's poison for us. You know, you know from, you know, if I want to get stronger, I'm going to go squat and deadlift. I mean, those things, you know, these basic things that we they all have know that to, they have, have to, to do that. Right? You have to do these things for the most part. And that, there, there are some universal truths. For I mean, example, we, are, we can't run 100 miles because we didn't. We never trained for it. First of all, I can't do it anyway, but we, <laughs> we, didn't, train, we didn't train for that. He didn't train to lift, right? It's right. like you have to put in the work, right? There's certain things that do work and certain things that don't work. If I wanted to learn how to how to run further, I'd listen to Zach and I'd, I'd learn how to do it. It's not like there's there's no rule to it, you know? <laughs> not like, oh, you're so different that there's not going to be a rule to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely, like, you have, you have to focus on some of those, like you said, those commonalities, like, you know, if you want to do better at deadlift, you got to gotta deadlift, um, you want to run long distance, you should probably be doing some long distance stuff. You know, it's the interesting thing to me, too, along the context of the meat and, like, where that fits in the puzzle in terms of, like, our needs for it from a nutritional standpoint. It's the one thing that, like, I have, haven't had kind of described to me in a way that I've really think makes sense is like when we look at the bioavailability of different food groups and you look at where meat falls on that chart it's by the on, on the top by a long shot so mm -hmm. like to me that's a pretty clear sign that our digestive system regardless of where you believe it has come from is really really designed to do well with that and then there's some things that it rejects half or more of those things it's probably not behaving very well inside of us so like I mean, if that's not a clear roadmap to like what we should be focusing things on, it's like I don't know what would be. Yeah, I think that that's really important to think about. You know, a lot of times we get in these like arguments about like we're supposed to be, you know, uh, herbivores, or we're supposed to be carnivores, and we're supposed to be this, or we're supposed to be that. But like everybody does well with meat, right? We know that. Uh, Doctor Baker says that all the time. Like, it seems like it's very well tolerated. It seems like most people. Uh, do well with it. So unless you have an ethical issue with it, it seems like it should be at the forefront of your plate. 
because the way I look at it is like your body is always searching and hunting for nutrients. And if you give your body what it needs up front, it's not going to be asking for it all day. And that's what hunger is. Hunger is I'm asking my body, you know, I'm asking for more nutrients, you know, and if we don't have that, that changes everything. You know, I think um, Stephen Finney says it the best. Uh, he just says when you know, hunger throws everything out the window. I think a lot of people say that, you know, when you get hungry, it throws all, you know, everything else, everything you told the person out the window because they're hungry and they just, they do it, do it on a whim and they don't do it without, without thinking. And so I think that that's, that's true. And if we can prevent ourselves from being hungry, that goes a long way into performance. I mean, that can be performing good if you're hungry or thinking about uh, food. But also what I really like about a, a high-fat diet and being able to like eat high-fat is uh, being able to eat high-fat and then being able to perform you know, shortly after but also being able to perform like a long time after as well, you know, being able to uh, eat some fat. And if I wanted to work out an hour later, I could, or eat some fat. And if I want to work out four hours later, I'm still completely fine because, you know, I've satiated myself for long enough to where I'm not getting hungry every two hours. Yeah, I think, you know, because you said we're not, you know, are we supposed to be carnivores? Are we supposed to be honored? Uh, my point is we're supposed to be healthy is what we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to yeah. be sick and disease and weak and frail and, and so whatever you got to do to get that nutrition, and, you know, again, I'm, I, I'm obviously biased towards I think meat is the best nutrition, and the more you eat of it, the, the better off you're going to be. And if you cut out the crap, you know, you're going to you're not going to have those issues. And so I think it's more, you know, oh, it's not, it's, I love the saying that um, the only two species that can't control their weight are human beings and the things we feed, you know, our pets. And, and it's scary. It's like, you know, you have all these people. In the United States, they claim that they're animal lovers, and they give their dogs plant food. You know, it's like if you're if you're a dog lover, feed your dog what it's supposed to eat. Feed it meat. You know, like I, that's what I say. I, I think I think it's ridiculous that a dog's diet is made up of uh, plant foods and things like that. I just I, I just think it's wrong. I don't think we should be doing that to animals. But um, you know, because people want to talk about cruelty to animals all the time. I'm sure you hear that all the time. What about feeding dogs shit that they shouldn't eat? We do it every single day. And people do it, and they're like, "I love my dog. Here's some more kibbles and bits." Like, I don't think you. I don't know if you love your dog if you're giving it. To them. I don't know if you love your kids if you're giving them shit either. I mean, I, I seriously feel that way. I feel like you know, people that don't um, provide the proper nutrition to their kids are doing them a really huge disservice. You know, well, I think this, a lot of people just don't know. I think it's more of a problem like they don't know. This is the thing with kids, and you know, I've got four kids, and you know, you want to, you want your kids to love you, and you want, you want to have them have a good childhood, and you want to take care of them. And, you know, I see a lot of people that, you know, they think that if they give their kids some kind of sugary dessert or sweet or reward them constantly with this junk food, that they're, the kids are going to love them more. Well, what's going to happen is those kids are going to develop metabolic syndrome and, you know, have all these issues in their 30s and 40s. And, and to me, that's, that's unfortunately not – they're not going to say – well, wow, I'm really glad you gave me a lot of sugar when I was a kid, when they're older. So you have to put the long perspective and, and say, you know, if you teach your kids proper nutrition, it doesn't have to be just eat meat, but, you know, teach them proper nutrition, nourish them well. To me, that is loving your children. And I think that is something and, and I, that we and, have and to I, I, and I And I should say, like, you know, kids deserve treats now and then. Everybody, does, everybody has that. Like, I had that when I was a kid. Um, but if I had the choice to go back, if you gave me the choice now, and said, Chris, what would you rather have? The candy and the cake and the cookies and stuff that, that you had as a kid or the pain of being fat your whole life? Which would you rather have? Right? I'll take I, I would I would the being fat your whole life sucks. And I've been fat like my whole life. I've had 
weight issues my whole life. I've thought about what I look like, what the fat that my body's carrying, like every day of my life, and it bothers me. It hurts my feelings. It makes me feel like shit. And so for people, people like look at me and be like, "Oh, well, you're muscular. You lift weights. You don't think about those things." It's killed me every day. Like that. That's why I'm so obsessive about this stuff. That's why, like, I love, I love doing it. I love learning about it. Uh, I have body image issues that we discussed in uh, in bigger, stronger, faster. And I, I think a lot of people do. I just think I might be a little bit more honest about it sometimes, you know. But um, if you don't like the way you look and the way you feel, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do, you know, you're not gonna perform well, and you're not gonna get the most out of life. And I think that's really important. Somebody's dog going nuts over there? Yeah, there must UPS must be dropping something off. <laughs> More shoes. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I, was gonna, yeah I was gonna say my dogs are being su su surprisingly quiet, which is good. Normally those guys are being. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris, I, you know, I agree, and like I said, it's it's uh, and, and and just just to to to, to uh, compliment you, I mean, you look, you're lean, you're getting lean now, man. I mean, you got to be pretty happy with your progress. I mean, you're definitely yeah. Uh, even well, even from you know six months ago, you know I think you're making yeah, I, I'm, pretty, pretty like tremendous said, I'm, progress. I'm I'm really happy with it. I'm I'm excited. That's what gets me excited to you know get up and and do this stuff every morning. Um, but you know for me the the one reason why I'm so like adamant about telling everybody is because when you feel good, you want you want to tell people. You want to say like you know what I feel really good, and I just want to share this with you. I just did a movie about kratom, which is a painkiller, and between kratom and the ketogenic diet. They've helped reduce my pain by so much that it's pretty insane. So the kratom actually kills pain, but the uh, ketogenic diet actually reduces inflammation. So you put those two things together, and they, they work really, really well together. Um, so the kratom works like it's like a mild uh, you know, opioid painkiller, but the great thing about it is that you don't get addicted to it. You don't get hooked on it. And the reason why I wanted to make that movie was the same reason I wanted to make the, this movie that we're making now about nutrition is um, I know that it's something that can help millions of people. There's a lot of people out there in pain and there's a lot of people out there that are, that are overweight. And I think like these, these two films will help take care of uh, those issues. Obviously you're not going to make a movie and go, okay, issue solved. Let's, let's move on. People have been fighting this forever. And there's been a lot of documentaries about nutrition and ours isn't, necessarily going to be any anything uh new or different i just hope that um our message lands on some people and we can get people to start eating better because the one ability i think that um that mark has that's really unique is he's really great at getting people to like follow everything that he does and so hopefully like we get you know we're on a solid eating path we make this film uh people see the they can actually see the progress see what we've done um and then make a decision for themselves. And that's like the really important thing is to provide people with information. When I did Bigger, Stronger, Faster, I wasn't there to tell you whether or not I thought Barry Bonds should use steroids or not, or if Lance Armstrong was a bad guy or not. I was there to provide you with information so you can make a choice at the end of the movie and say, what do I think? You know, it's you might watch our whole movie and at the end say, uh, those guys are still fat. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, yeah, who knows? Who knows what, where it'll end up? But, you know, um, I just think that's the way to do it. You let people decide, you know. Well, I mean, ultimately, that's, that's what's always going to happen. You can take the information, and and I think, you know, there is a really uh, uh, very strong, passionate group of people that really feel that we should, you know, we should adopt this plant-based uh, 
you know, narrative and everybody should do that. And, and, and it's, you know, and, and I, I have no problem with people believing that and, and spreading their message out there. Um, I do have a problem when they, when it starts to interfere with my capacity and I don't, and I don't necessarily believe that my ethics, you know, if I got a mosquito flying around me, I'm going to swat it. If there's a cockroach running around, I'm going to step on it. I love my dogs and I like the way cows taste. Those are my ethics. You know, they're not yeah. yours. And yeah, so yeah, for, yeah. The, for people to put those ethics on you is, is just, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just unhelpful. And the fact that we're seeing, you know, uh, proposed legislation where we're going to tax red meat or we're going to, we're going to have school systems where they only serve vegan menus or vegetarian menus to the kids. I think to me, uh, that, is problematic and I think the more people that say look I don't want to go down that road and not just passively accept that and guys like you they're making films I know that uh, Pete Evans made the magic pill the other you know that came out recently and so I think the more we have a really you know it's so it's not just a one-sided discussion you know because there's mm -hmm. people that already have already decided okay we're human the only way we can save humanity is if we all eat soybeans and I, I just I don't think that's right and I think that's gonna end up you know, putting us in a worse place than we were before. You know, when we, when we as human beings decided to become an agricultural-based civilization, there was no randomized controlled trials. There was no, you know, we didn't study that stuff. We just did it out of expedience because that's how we could feed the most people. And, and now we have a society that, you know, has a lot of problems that, that, that didn't exist. You know, it's not that we can all go run around in loincloths and hunt, you know, uh, mammoths anymore, but we still have to figure out you know, what is the best nutrition for humans? And I think that answer has not, not been decided yet. I also think, and this is something that uh, you and I should talk about offline a little bit, Zach, too, maybe. Um, I also feel like we there, there should be some sort of, uh, and maybe there is out there, there should be some sort of, like, coalition or some sort of group coming together, like, that supports what we support, but also supports the ethical fair treatment of all the animals. I think that there's nobody in our in our world that is an animal hater. There's no one like in a, in the meat eating world that's saying we should treat animals like shit and we should treat them bad. I, if I'm gonna eat the animal, I want it treated the best it can be treated, you know. And I think that that's a movement that we can all make, and that's a movement we can make by our choices. Like if we start choosing, you know, um, we start choosing those meats and start choosing those things uh, that are ethically treated. That's what we're gonna we're gonna get. You know, it's a, it's a supply and demand market. And mm -hmm. us as consumers, we, we control that. So as long as we're all in agreement that like, hey, we should be treating animals better, that's a that's a way we just have to all go and we have to all support that and drive for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think I think too, just like you know, in terms of like managing like wildlife and you know meat sources and things like that, I think there's there's so much untapped potential, and you know we see like. Um, I know Joe talks about this all the time on his podcast, like the number, like there's so many pigs running rampant in Texas, they're shooting them from helicopters. It's like, yeah, it have to, because there's too many. Right. Or like you go to Hawaii and the excess deer are like severely overpopulating the, the number of humans there. And it's like, they have to, you know, hunting is actually better for those, those, those animals because when they overpopulate, you know, it's a really hard end to that road. Overpopulation is something that's going to be a very, very painful um, there will, nature will deter that in a very painful way, whereas when you manage that type of stuff. Um, so I think just like, like broadening our scope of what's potential as opposed to just like, you know, focusing on, well, we're going to buy this hamburger from the grocery store yeah. because it came from a farm, you know, just, you know, like I think there's a lot more potential than people really realize if we actually focus on kind of how things exist in, in unison with one another and then how we can kind of like living things eat living things. 
and that's how everything kind of keeps going on. So like like well, what's supposed to what living thing is supposed to be eating what living thing, and then how does that all kind of you know fit that fit the narrative or the picture? Yeah, what are the rules, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that um, that is it's interesting that you say that. Like you know, things eat things. It's just the way it's the way things have always worked. It's the way things have always operated. You know, and so um, you know, like I, like Doctor Baker says, like I don't I don't really have any like ethics against. Um, against eating meat, um, I I think um, a big I think just like a, in general like a big part of um, of all of this stuff that we're we're talking about um, is I think people need to just like open their mind in, in general. I think so many people are so stuck in so many different uh, dogmas that we hear because like I'm also stuck in them, you know. So. Uh, as much as you say, eat as much meat as you want. Don't worry about your cholesterol. I'm still like, hey, Doctor Baker, what's my, you know, <laughs> my cholesterol's a little high. Like, should it be, you know? And so I, I just, I don't know. I just think we're all so stuck in our own heads and our own dogmas about almost uh, everything, um, because we're just told so many different things from each place, and it's like, it's, you know, it's because it's been there forever. I remember, um, I feel stupid about it now. Asking Doctor Baker forever about fiber. You know, and um, when I went and researched fiber and where uh, all the information on how much fiber we need actually came from, it came from a, a professor that went over to Uganda and he saw that the kids took a, a whole lot of shits there. <laughs> These kids are really shitting a lot, and my my school kids aren't shitting a lot in England. So what are these Ugandans doing that are different? Oh, they eat about 30 grams of fiber a day. So he brings that back over to England, and then like next thing you know, when they're writing up all of our stuff, like that just ends up in the literature of our stuff and you're going like, wait a second, nobody actually checked this out. There's no real proof that we actually need this. And we've been shoving this in our diets for, you know, the past 50 years. And there's just so many things like that that you find out and, and you find out that we've been lied to about almost everything in the, in the nutritional world. And if you do things exactly the opposite of the way that the government says, you get in shape. And that's really, it's really fucking crazy when you think about it. Well, one of the things, you know, fiber definitely has been oversold. I mean, you know, there, there, are, and I've talked about this before, but, you know, that was Dr. Burkett who, who, who came up with the guy who's Burkett's lymphoma is named for. And, you know, he, he was observing African tribes and saying, well, these guys are healthy and we noticed that they eat a lot of fiber, so therefore we all must need a lot of fiber. Well, he, what he failed to, to, to mention was they didn't, they, they weren't eating sugar and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right, right. So there's a bunch of other things. So we, we kind of get tied up in this and we all, and you know, the cereal manufacturers love us to eat fiber because it's, it's really agricultural waste. I mean, it's just junk they were going to throw away anyway. They throw, you know, they sprinkled a few vitamins on there, put a little sugar on it, and, and now you've got this cheap, uh, cheap chow that you can feed. It's people. crazy how we think that you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and that we should be eating breakfast cereal in order to uh, get us up in the morning and get us going. And, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I'm sure you know this. Breakfast cereal was invented to prevent masturbation. Yeah. You know, and Kellogg's was, Brothers, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Kellogg's and Post, and they had sanitariums, and they thought if we give people really bland foods, uh, they won't want to bang anything. These <laughs> really bland foods, and they'll just be like, oh, man, I just... Yeah, I don't feel like having sex anymore. I don't. I don't know what they were doing, what they were thinking, but whatever. That was the thing, um, you know, back in the day. And so, like, the, the where if you look at the things, and I'm sure my brother and I will uh, explore these things in our movie because to me they're just hilarious. Like where things came from makes our nutrition history laughable 
And if we can make our nutrition history laughable, I think people will start tearing down those walls and start seeing the truth. And I think that's that's sort of what we need to do. It's like, hey, this is where this came from. Do you believe it? You know, like people go, no, I don't. That sounds stupid to me. Well, it is stupid, and it's, it's not true too. When you add that flair to it, where you know, like, look what you said about the whole Kellogg's thing. It's like then then people connect the dots really quick, and they don't feel like they don't feel kind of overwhelmed in a sense where like, well, where do I start? Well, it's like well, when you start from that, you you know exactly what is what is garbage, and then you eliminate a lot of the the necessity to kind of do trial and error when you can kind of see like, okay, this is obviously not technically good for me. It was, you know, yeah. a bogus set, set up to begin with. The thing I love about making uh, films, like, uh, is that you can, uh, you know, you can poke fun at these things. You can think of clever little uh, anecdotes to say about them, little cartoons, little little things. And when, um, you know, when I when I'm doing that, I'm always thinking, uh, how can I make this stick in somebody's head? Like, what what about this, you know, message is gonna is gonna stick in somebody's head? Or what point could I make? That's like, well, that's that's actually like a really good point. And so I always try to look, you know, for those things when we're making the movie, uh, because I think, it, like you said, if you can get an analogy through somebody's head, it goes a long way into them uh, actually putting it into practice and using it in their life. And actually a, a big thing that we want to do with a lot of the stuff that we're telling people is we want them to be able to tell other people the same thing and be able to tell them in, in the right way that makes sense, you know. One of the, the neat things. One of the neat things that I heard uh, somebody I can't remember who said online, but he said, you know, if you know my, if I wanted to explain nutrition, I should be able to explain it to my dog in about ten seconds. And if you need to take longer than that, you're 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 going the wrong way. And, and it should be that simple. And you know, like I said, uh, I don't give my dogs a menu. I don't give them a calculator. And they're happy and they're healthy. And it's it's just yeah. that, that's how simple nutrition can be. You know, you mentioned about cholesterol and stuff like that. And, and there's a lot of controversy about that. There's some people out there that really, really, really like to, to point well, the finger at cholesterol. You should let me bring it up because mine was like 400 or something, right? Like last time, what was it? Oh, I can't remember. I don't, I don't remember. You. I know you get relatively high, yeah. It was just LDL was like three something. And, um, and I was concerned about that. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just saying we've got this. The problem is we're using this really, really, really old technology. I mean, these blood tests. I mean, look at that. We've been drawing blood for well over 100 years now. And so this is the technology that we're using to solve these health problems or make predictions. I use the analogy like it's like using a, you know, a shoe print in the mud to, sol to solve a murder mystery. I mean, you only get one little tiny piece of data. And it's yeah. like there are so many other players going on. You know, a lot of people want just losing weight will make their cholesterol go up. I posted a study not long ago. They, had a, they did a study on people that fasted for seven days. Their cholesterol went up by 36%. So we're saying eating meat raises your cholesterol, therefore it's bad for you. But not eating anything raises your cholesterol too. So where do we, you know, where do we figure out yeah. how this all, how this plays in? And, you know, guys like Dave Feldman we're going to have on next week, we talk about all the things that go into cholesterol and how many things, how, how many other pieces have to be in place before that becomes an issue. We don't know all the answers yet. And so we have this reductionist thing in medicine like you know we, we we just go okay it's either black or it's white if it's black we give you a medicine if it's white you're okay and that's not how things work you know we have to we have to look at the whole we have to look at the whole system and i would say you know if i'd say chris you know your cholesterol was lower six months ago but you felt like shit now it's high but you feel great what, what would you rather have and what tells us better what's going on with that whole system what's going on with chris bell's body as an entire package 
And I think we have well, to sort of get away from that little piece at a time. The, the one thing that helped me be able to explain it to other people, because I show my blood work and I'll say, here's, and I go, wow, your LDL is really high. And I say, well, my triglycerides and my HDL are, they're neck and neck, you know, they're, they're where they should be. And I did a bunch of reading on that, um, you know, on your HDL to, um, what is it? HDL to uh, triglyceride, triglyceride ratio should be like one to one, right? And so looking at that, I'm like, okay, that's perfect. A1C was really low. Like all the other markers were like really low. So, you know, don't be so concerned with the uh, LDL cholesterol all the time. Yeah, yeah there, was a, there was a article probably about two or three weeks ago that I think Onnit published that um, broke that down really nice and clearly where they, they actually even examined like is a carnivore diet um, healthy and then they kind of went through all the stuff and they, they pinpointed that where it was like you don't want to focus necessarily on your total cholesterol score but you know looking at your ratios and you know the triglyceride to HDL ratios and things like that and it put it in pretty clear like framework so like anyone could kind of grab their chart and plug in the numbers if they wanted to find out where they were at and um, I think that's the type of information that hopefully will continue to kind of come out so people can get a better look at it and not, not hop on a statin right when their cholesterol goes above a certain number. Yeah, I think what we have to do is get past this, you know, this associational data because we have, you know, we look at these huge populations and we say, okay, everybody, the average person in this population, if they have a higher cholesterol, you know, that's bad. And then we got to look at who we're we looking at. We're looking at a bunch of people eating carbohydrates, a standard American diet, and trying to put the, and put everybody in that situation. And, you know, as this outlier thing, not everybody fits in those, you know, you've got some square pegs that don't fit in the round holes, and so you got to figure out what to do with the square pegs. And so I think hopefully with technology, we'll be able to do things like, you know, some of the stuff that's already out there, you know, the, the carotid artery screening, the, the, the coronary, coronary artery calcium screening, but we'll have even more advanced techniques where we can really look at the tissue, you know, look at the actual tissues, because that's what we're really worried about. We're not worried about, you know, what's transiently circulating in the blood, which can change you know, day to day and, and, and even hour to hour. And so we have to sort of hopefully as we get past all this stuff, we can we can kind of drift away from this. What I think is really old technology. Drawing blood is it's old, a, old technology. Not, not only is it old technology, it's really, really dangerous for people like my father. So, you know, my father is uh, 69. He turns 70 next year. So um, his cholesterol is high, but no higher. Like mine's higher than his. And he's been on a statin for like five or six years, and I've been trying to get him to get off of it. And um, my mom tells me that he's going to die if he gets off of it, you know, like all this stuff. And um, but the thing is, I think it's damaging, you know, because um, you're not producing the testosterone like you were. You're not, you know, there's there's so many things that happen when you take a statin that I I don't know. I mean, I there's probably some extreme cases. You would know better than I as a, as a doctor, but. In my uh, experience on working on prescription thugs, and um, I haven't seen much good come out of statins, is all I should say. You know, and I think the people should be questioning it if they're if they are put on it. You know, to make yeah, sure I mean, they need it. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of controversy about that stuff, and hopefully we'll get you know we'll get some more guys on that are that are dive deeper in that stuff. One guy named Ivor Cummins would be a good guest, I think, and we'll see if we can get there. But yeah, this this the whole statin thing, you know, it's 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 really. You know, there's probably a lot of people on them that shouldn't be on them, you know, and, and one of the things, it's kind of interesting, there's been a lot of drugs over the years that have lowered cholesterol, you know, a whole bunch of them, right? And they had no effect on cardiovascular outcomes. So we're like, well, if cholesterol is a bad guy, and we've had all these drugs that have lowered cholesterol, but they didn't make a difference at all 
in protecting people from heart disease, why do we still think it's the cholesterol? Well, the statins did a really good job. Well, one of the thoughts is statins might, you know, have have effects on vasodilation, the nitric oxide, and some other things, or anti-inflammatory. So maybe it's just the inflammation. And we know that people that have vascular inflammatory diseases like the lupus, you know, they have like a 5,000 percent increase in cardiovascular disease, whereas somebody has an increased LDL, it might increase the risk by 10 percent. So we have to say, you know, we have to look into this stuff and say, what what's really going on here? And, uh, you know, the statin stuff, you know, I, I wouldn't take it personally. You know, the, the, the benefits are, are minuscule at best for, for, for certain people. Maybe there's some argument that guys that have had a heart attack may do a little better for secondary prevention, but it's it's just... You know, something that I think has to has to have more more eyes on it. As you know from prescription thugs, probably I can't remember. I can't remember if I saw that. I'm trying to remember if I watched it, Chris. I apologize if I didn't. But you know, I'm sure you found that there's a lot of money being pumped in by the pharmaceutical industry to yeah, to, yes. to manipulate our policy. There's a lot of kind of kind of stuff where the science, even the science, has really um, been heavily biased. I mean, they'll do a study and you know, if they don't like the outcome, that city goes in the trash can a lot of times. Yeah. And it never gets published. And so we only see the best of the best of their their, their, their I, data. I heard, they're, I heard they're starting to change that, where they're going to actually make you show the studies now. So that'll be interesting because there'll be a lot, you know, it's like, how do you put a drug on the market when there's six studies saying that it killed people? You know, and that's that's what we're getting in. That's what we're going to get into. And I think we're going to see a lot of the hypocrisy and lies of the past sort of exposed now that they have to show this stuff you know so we'll it'll it'll start coming out well it's interesting you know i pulled up the lobbying data from last year 2017 and by far the biggest lobby to the government was was a was a pharmaceutical company they they, they donated yeah. something like 280 million dollars the defense contractors only gave 60 million and, you know the u.s department of defense is, is a huge thing but you know it was it was, it was a pharmacy companies and then it was the insurance companies and that's just lobbying dollars and then you go look at how much do they do they donate to the American Heart Association? How much and do the, they donate to the American Diabetes Association? The sickening thing is that's that that the pharma thing is for the pharma to allow people to kill people. Like that's what it is, because that's what they're doing with the opioid epidemic. You know, it's like permission to permission to kill. You know, here here's a bunch of money. We get to kill this many people every year and make a bunch of money off of it. It's insane the amount of profits uh, driven off the opioids, and it's really nice to see that a bunch of uh, companies like Walmart now are cracking down on it, and Costco and these companies are really cracking down on it. It's it's one of the biggest problems in our country, you know. And um, seeing that uh, getting taken care of a little bit is nice, but it, it needs to be taken care of more. Uh, the thing is that being somebody that has chronic pain, I know that uh, most people don't need you know opioids to solve that problem. Most people need to get on a diet. You know, and I don't think we're going to see that recommended anytime soon, but I really feel that most people can uh, get rid of their pain that they're using opioids for uh, with their diet. And I well, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that's something, that's something I see all the time, obviously, is I've been kind of curating all these people getting their stories and very commonly, particularly things like arthritic pain, that stuff just goes away when they, when they drop some of the stuff out of their diet. But, you know, it's kind of interesting when I started practicing medicine, you know, two decades or two and a half decades ago, uh, I remember you know, the strong, any, anytime you had to prescribe like oxycodone or oxycontin, I mean, that was like, whoa, I mean, that's like freaky, 
You know, that, yeah. that's way out. You know, we, you know, we give them a little Tylenol 3 or maybe some Vicodin. And then it was starting to become, well, everybody's now, everybody's on oxycodone. And then it was, not, now, next it was like, now everybody's got to be undelauded. I mean, it just kind of, just in a period of two decades, it was amazing how the level of uh, opioid uh prevalence just just creeped up so quickly and all of a sudden it was like you know you start handing it and stuff starts going out there like candy because everybody's used to it and they have such tolerance no i can't do i can't do uh you know a viking it's not strong enough it doesn't do anything I mean, it's like water people tell me it's like water yeah well 20 years ago the, the same people that were having the same medical issues you were with were fine with that and so we yeah. we've got this almost you know what uh, about other countries other <clears throat> countries they're they're doing these surgeries without opioids right like we consume 90% of them here. So obviously all over the world, they're doing these surgeries or doing all this other stuff and they're using other stuff to get out of pain. Even the, um, you know, when I talk about Kratom in my, in my new movie, the stuff that Advil and Tylenol does to your gut microbiome and to your balls <laughs> um, is, is really detrimental. And a lot of people don't know about that stuff. And that's why I try to provide alternatives, you know, like the Kratom, like the keto diet, you know? Yeah, I mean, that is, uh, you know, it, it is, you know, like I said, if you get a lot of countries, if you are an outpatient, you know, the only time you can get an opioid is if you are actually physically checked into the hospital. And, you know, you don't get you don't get an outpatient prescription for opioids. You know, you, I, you, I was uh, seriously debating whether that would be a good option here. You know, I think that um, that might be it. You know, whereas like if you're in the hospital, you can get them. If you're not in the hospital, then you can't get them. And, but then there's so many issues where you're like, well, if somebody has cancer. You don't want them to be stuck in the hospital because they have to take this pill, right? Then I'm the asshole, right, for making that law. So there, there are a lot of things to consider, um, but also like alternatives are great. Like this, the whole uh, marijuana coming around being legal. It's just like, hey man, if people want that as a choice, let them have it. Who cares? You know, it's it's harm reduction. And what I look for in in helping addicts and then helping even people on their diet, every single thing that we do. It's harm reduction. So in rehab, you have a lot of people say, well, you're just trading one thing for another. And I completely disagree with that. I think if you're trading one really shitty thing for one thing that's really good, you're trading Twinkies for red meat, go ahead. Go do it, do it all day. Trade it all day. Eat all you want, you know. Um, but the thing is that uh, I, there are some habits you can replace, you know, a habit with another bad habit. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're trying to, we're trying to trade up, you know, so – I think if people are, are looking at it that way, that's that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Right, and at the very least, not make certain things that are you know potentially way better for you illegal. So like you that's, know we're going the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And we do it all the time with everything. It's like everything. Every time something's good, like kratom, for example, was uh, as soon as I found out, I'm like oh this can actually get rid of my arthritis. I don't need opioids. All of a sudden, the DEA comes out and says, well, we're going to make it a Schedule One drug, and you're. It's like Schedule One. It's not even, uh, you know, there was no, there was no other uh, sort of warning or anything. It's just like all they could do is either Schedule One or nothing. So rather than like sort of study it, they just say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna ban it. And I think that uh, the government's really fast to do that with with a lot of stuff, and not fast enough to do it with other stuff. If you look at Vioxx, they had fifty five thousand people die before they decided to do anything with it, and then. Uh, at the end of the day, you got to decide like, was it, was it actually Vioxx or what was you know what was going on? But I mean, fifty five thousand people is a lot of people to die before you realize like, hey, maybe we should pull this off the market. And um, with that particular drug, I don't know 
you know, if they were right to do that or not. But sometimes they are and some, sometimes they aren't. But that's a lot of people uh, to expense, you know, to find that out. Yeah, I mean, the, we, we were conducting a huge experiment on human beings, you know, with a, with a, with our dietary recommendations and with our some of the medications that we do. I mean, it's, it 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 really is, and it's it's hard to say there's an easy answer for this. Do you stuff. think we'd be better with none? With none, what? <laughs> dietary yeah. recommendations. I, yeah, like, I honestly, honestly, if they I just do. said, hey, eat, eat whatever you want, we don't care. I mean, you know, honestly, <laughs> probably. Probably, you know, like I think Brazil has a has a pretty good outline. They said, you know, eat with your family, enjoy meals, eat 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 eat, eat variety, and and just you know, that that's basically their their recommendations. They don't they don't give you this, you know, you need to eat six sixteen servings of grains, and you know this stuff that you know obviously there's anything that's influenced uh, that the, the government can be influenced by is, is influenced by. There's a lot of money that goes into that, the lobbies, the farm lobbies, the, the soybean growers, the corn growers, the wheat growers. You know, so we have all this sort of influence on what we're supposed to eat by people that are that are making profit over that. And I think you should say, if, if I had to write the dietary guidelines, I'd say eat the stuff that makes you feel the best. And that, John Baker's know, dietary guidelines. It's like, right? I mean, that, that that's what it should be. But it really, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's you know, the problem is, you know, most people could care less. Most people don't even know what the dietary guidelines are. The problem is, you know, we get federal funding for schools and, and other government, you know, related bodies, which are based on that stuff. And then, you know, when we go to the the doctor's office and we got a medical problem, then, then we, get, we get the same old, you know, dietary recommendations. And so, you know, it does have an impact and it should be, I know like Nina Teichholz and some of the others are, are doing some stuff to try to, you know, Hopefully, get more evidence in there, and maybe less influence. So, evidence yeah, she's uh, uh, Nutrition Coalition, I think, right? That's a, a website that she has. I believe that's to, it. Yeah, Nutrition Coalition. I, I love uh, Nina's work. I think she's great. She's gone through over ten thousand studies. Whoever hasn't read the book, uh, The Big Fat Surprise, you mm -hmm. should definitely read that book or listen to it on audiobook. Um, just another another like tip. Something I do every single day is I listen to audiobooks all the time. I just think a lot of people forget that that exists. So um, I have about 30 audiobooks on my phone and um, every time I go out for a walk, I'll put on an audiobook, listen to a chapter of somebody talking about I just got a book called Genius Foods. It's a great book um, about foods to eat for your brain. But all these books what's great is like every single book I've, I've listened to about keto has you know, usually several, but at least one nugget that you just carry with you where you're like, oh that was awesome. Like I've never heard it put that way or phrased that way because you're getting such a variety of teachers, you know, that, um, and they're all, they're all good. You know, it's like, uh, the, the books that I never heard of, or I haven't heard the guy on Joe Rogan, I don't buy those books. You know, I only buy the ones that I, I've heard on Rogan or Ferris or, you know, somebody like that. And uh, I, a lot of times that's how I discover the people. I hear them on a podcast and I buy their book, but I think it's important for people to listen to a lot of podcasts like your podcast, Joe Rogan's podcast, my brother's podcast. Tim Ferriss's podcast, they're all bringing a lot of good guests that have a lot of great information, and it's free. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. and you know, that's that's how I got introduced to kind of like the whole ketogenic high-fat approach was, you know, I kind of, I, I took a look at my training, and I was like, well, geez, when I'm full-blown training, I'm spending 20 hours a week doing this stuff, and my next question was like, well, what would I do otherwise, and then I kind of decided I'm going to try to kill two birds with one stone and started listening to podcasts, audiobooks and stuff mm -hmm. while I ran. And um, then it was like in my mind I could justify spending that much time training and 
uh, know that I'm also kind of learning. So like, there's there's just so many options <laughs> out there. <laughs> you have to have a lot of podcasts lined up. Yeah. To run that <laughs> so yeah I'm a podcast connoisseur of sorts. <laughs> yeah. You're just gonna like every single podcast on iTunes because like, you have no choice. <laughs> you to run a hundred. I was listening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there, there's no shortage of podcasts out there. You know, one of the things because you uh, and one of the things that you and, and both Mark, you know, Mark particularly promotes this 10 minute walk deal, and so he's getting people out there. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the just one of the examples. I know when I was talking to Mark, I said, "Man, you've got such a big audience now that you know." And I'm glad to see that you're that you're using that besides just you know selling slingshots, but you're you know you're you're using that that that's that loudspeaker you have to, to reach people's lives and really improve their lives, whether it's through diet or exercise or 10-minute walks. Say, I think uh, that's... Mark's just having a blast. Like, it's really nice to see. Um, he worked really hard. Like, this is, and this is a good, a good story, a good lesson for any, anybody. When I did Bigger, Stronger, Faster, Mark was flat broke. He had nothing. You know, he was, his wife was paying the bills. He was powerlifting. Um, they got a, they, they were, his wife got laid off from her job. They were going to get kicked out of their house. Uh, our brother died, and uh, after our brother died, Mark was like, "I'm a loser. I got two, you know, I got a kid. I got another one on the way. I don't got anything going on, you know. Like, what am I gonna do?" And um, he had this idea for the slingshot for a long time, and he said he went to sleep that night. And he said, uh, "Mad Dog came to him in a dream and told him just to think. He just said, think one word.'" And Mark said he got up and he was like, had goosebumps and chills, and he didn't know what was going on, and. He's like, that's it. I just started drawing up the designs for the slingshot. I knew it needed to be made. It had been in my head forever, but I didn't have the balls to do it. So I stepped out with the balls to do it, and in six years, built a multi-million dollar company. You know, it's it's pretty crazy how fast it goes. You know, and it's it's pretty crazy how big it can get. But uh, it it can only get as big as you can believe it can get. You know, and I think that that's um that's the goal we have for the movie that we're doing next. Uh, I, I think we can we can change a lot about the way that people eat with the influence that we have, the amount of people that we know, the people that we can get to. Um, I feel that, that we can do it. So it's just a matter of um, you know us putting in the work and now uh, making it happen and having uh, guys like Mark that have these huge followings have my back uh, as a filmmaker feels really good. I never thought it would come around to the day where my younger brother was funding my next movie. Like that's pretty crazy. And it's impressive, you know. It's it's really, uh, you know, hats off to him because he, he's done a great job with it, you know. Yeah, that, that's an awesome story, and I I think too, just with like the the ten minute walk thing, I think that's so powerful. I mean, it seems like such a small thing, but there's a lot of people who like the ultimate end goal or optimization is so far down the road for them that when they look at where they would want to be, if they're being honest with themselves, it's so overwhelming that you know they get into that rut where like, well, why even start? So when you can kind of group people together and say, hey, it's okay to start out with a 10-minute walk. Look, we're all doing this. Then you know what's can... great? You get yeah, you get these guys that are like 300 pounds powerlifters, and they're like, hashtag 10-minute walk. And they're like, <laughs> how they're, like, they're proud that they're even walking. And you're like, that's great. Like, be proud of it. it yeah. It's exciting. Like, you don't normally do this. Uh, my editor that uh, edited Prescription Thugs, um, you know, he's been overweight his whole life, and now he's editing this movie that we're working on. And, uh, you know, after we shot, after we filmed today, he's like, hey, can we go to In-N-Out? I want to get some of those Flying Dutchmen. And he's in. He's 100% he's in. He's like, dude, I'm in. I've been in for like three four days. I didn't want to tell you yet, but I've been in, and I, I'm following it. I'm doing the 10-minute walks. And, you know, I, I just think that he's going to have a much better life. And for me, 
I, I think Dr. Baker gets this, and you get this too, uh, Zach. Like when you uh, I, when you help somebody, it just makes you feel good mm-hmm. that you, you you contributed like something to somebody that means a lot, you know. And especially if the person like Greg, my friend, means a lot to me. He's helped me through countless things in my career. He's been through with me through my sobriety. And the last thing I want to do is see him struggle with his weight or disease or you know anything like that. We want people around us to be healthy, and we when we can give that gift, it's so powerful. Yeah, I want to say, you know, and I certainly, you know, Chris, I, I echo that, you know, for me, what, what keeps me going, you know, because I, you know, and you probably get some of this too, but I get a lot of sort of negativity thrown at me through, you know, people that disagree with me. But, um, you know, I get so much positive feedback from a daily basis of people sending me like, my gosh, my rheumatoid arthritis went away, or I lost 50 pounds, or, you know, this is daily I get. And this is, you know, as someone who is for a long time, you know, you'd get a little bit of that stuff, but the the amount of life changing stuff just by changing someone's diet is so much more powerful. And it's not just, you know, it's not just that their their knee feels better; it's their whole entire existence is better. Their their mood is better. They feel good. Their whole body starts feeling. They they, they become energized and they change and they start to uh, they basically become alive again. Because you know, like you talked about, I'm dead but I'm still alive. You know, but. Yeah, you, you, we've got a lot of people. We got a lot of walking zombies out there, just kind of walking around, Dude, you know, eating a crappy diet. So funny, you know. It's so funny that you said that because I always think of uh, I'll pull up to the gym, and I, this happens to me almost every day. And people just walk out of Gold's gym, right? And I'm always like, I, I always say it's the Walking Dead. It's like this these people like just out of the gym. Like it's like, why are you even going to the gym? You yeah. just look like a hump coming out of it. It's like, <laughs> it, it just seems like the Walking Dead are, are everywhere among us. You know, it's like. Wake up, people. Walk straight up. Have some posture, you know. It's like, but uh, but yeah, when you help people, it's you know, it it changes everything, and it changes every the way you feel about about yourself as well. I think, you know. Yeah, it's it's huge, and you know what the thing I've said recently too. If I I don't get a ton of backlash, but when I do have someone tell me like, well, why are you why are you promoting this lifestyle? It's you know, it's not healthy. It's 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 hurting people. There's no science, and you know all those you know, quick, like, uh, you know, reasons why not to. And, you know, my response now is simply like, well, when I stop having people tell me that they followed my approach and had these huge lifestyle changes, that's when I'll stop talking about it. Like when people stop Mm -hmm. telling me that it worked for them, when people stop telling me that, like, you know, it helped them reach their goal and, Finishing a race or winning a race. When, some, like when somebody else breaks a world record, too. Like, you have the world record. Why would you change that? Sean Baker has world records. Why would you change it? Like, you don't, you don't go back on stuff that works, you know? You, don't, you just don't. Right, yeah. And, I mean, yeah. And it's it's in some things, too. Like, I've, I'm, I'm a curious person, so I've tried a lot of different things in terms of, like, nutrition, training strategies, and things like that. And there's there's some things that are really subtle that you don't really notice. You question whether it actually did anything or not. And there's some things that are like, whoa, that made a big difference. And, you know, kind of flipping carbs and fats on their head from the traditional high-carb approach to endurance was one of those things where, like, it was very obvious to me early on that, you know, it was working and it was working with me much better than my previous approach. So, um, you know, that's that's at some point you kind of have to let your body be your guide and then and then just trust that too. You're, you're exactly right, and letting your body be the guide is uh, what I wanted to say about Dr. Baker. So my shoulder's been messed up for quite a long time. Um, it still hurts really bad. There's still like a lot of pain in there, but it's getting better all the time. And when I first started, I mean, I could barely, like, I had to go like this to raise my arm, you know. And so my, you know, my range of motion is getting, I got to still throw it up there a little bit. It's getting 
better. It's not as good as this one, but it's it's sort of getting there. Um, but what he told me in the beginning was uh, just give it time, right, and it'll get better. And I was like, I don't I don't know if this will get better. But for some weird reason now, in the past like three weeks, I feel like this is going to get better. I feel like it is a matter of, it's a matter of time. And also, what I wasn't doing was putting any work into it. So now I'm putting work into it and continuing on the carnivore diet. And um, it seems to be making improvements. So I think that uh, when you say give it time, because I know what's happened in my lower body, for example, when he said give it time, my hips were hurting really bad. Like I said, it takes a lot of energy to muster up to get into, into the gym. Um, but it only hurts for like that one second. It used to hurt the whole time I was lifting. It used to hurt constantly. So now it's like, you know, it's just been greatly reduced by all this. And, and I, I should say that time has been a really big factor in, in doing it, doing it over time, you know, over the course of a couple months. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've experienced, you know, and I've been doing this for now a little over a year and a half. And so I continue, even 18 months in, continue to see little improvements week by week. You know, certainly with, uh, you know, from performance, you know, I, I'm continue, I'm getting stronger every week. I mean, it's just like, that's pretty cool when you're in your 50s and, you know, you're just that's not supposed to happen. You know, you're, you know, usually what happens is, you know, you, you hit a certain age and you kind of slowly kind of decline and I'm going up still. And so I, I don't know what, I don't know when that's going to really stop. I really wish, I really wish I knew you like five years ago. Like <laughs> I just want like, I, I seriously, just cause like, I would like to see what you were like and, and if it's different. Cause like, you're just so full of energy now. You're always so fired up. And I'm like, I don't know. I wonder if you were that fired up before the meet. Well, I mean, I was—I've always been a competitor. I mean, that—that's—that's yeah. that's in my DNA, and I've always, you know, did what I could, and I was—I, you know, I had a lot. I've always had decent energy, but you know, at the same time, five years ago, I mean, I was not as healthy. I mean, absolutely yeah. not. I mean, that's I was, what I'm saying. I was kind of—I was kind of like Mark in the bigger, you know, when he was doing the heavy lifting, because I was, you know, I was 50 pounds heavier. You know, I was a little stronger, but I was 50 pounds carrying 50 more pounds. I had high blood pressure, wasn't sleeping well. You know, I had, you know a number of different minor medical things, lots of joint joint pain, aches and pains. I don't have any of that stuff anymore, which, yeah. you know, just waking up every day and feeling good, getting a good night's sleep and being able to train without pain is is, is really good at, at it, really at any age, but particularly after you get past a certain number of years because, you know, you put a lot of miles on your body, beating yourself up, you know, training hard. Like I, I've trained, you know, you know, you and Mark, Mark's been doing it for you know, 20 some years. I've been doing this for almost 40 yeah. years, you know, and so it's kind of like, you know what the accumulated damage is, and, and oh, absolutely. It, it catches up with you. But it's it's going away, which is you know I I, I can't I, I can't ignore that fact. And I think it, and, and I'm seeing I'm, it day in and day what out. I'm, um, what I'm interested in, and what I look forward to actually, is um we've made a lot of mistakes coming up, but before us there was nobody. Like my dad didn't lift, he didn't train. I'm interested in see what happens with like Mark's kids yes. and your kids, like that generation, mm -hmm. because like you guys know, right? Like Zach and, and Dr. Baker, you guys know. So like your kids can have the option now to uh, experience all these great things from a young age, right? Like even um, even if they're not on a necessarily like a ketogenic or a carnivore diet, they're going to be eating better because they're with you all the time. And so that is going to profoundly affect their genetics for everything from their height, you know, to, uh, to the way that they perform, right? So, and the way per they perform in school also is a big, that's a, a huge factor for kids. So I, I think, um, in seeing what the future brings with real good nutrition, because like we have no idea what it would have brought to us. Cause we, it's almost everybody I know. It's seriously everybody I know from, you know, my ex girlfriend on down, everybody I know that eats good now and in great shape. Now they haven't done it their whole life. The right. only person that's done it their whole entire life 
is Michael Hearn, since he was like, you know, before when he was up until he was 14, he kind of ate, you know, whatever he wanted to. But 14 is a pretty young age to say, I'm, I'm going to start dieting and training for bodybuilding shows. And so he's probably the only one I know. And look at him. He's 47 or 48. He looks like, you know, he looks amazing. And, um, and I think that, you know, when we see what happens with the future of these kids that are coming up now, that's where the proof will be in the pudding, where we say, look, at all the stuff that Dr. Baker and we were all saying back in the day, uh, it's because it actually works. And here's the proof, you know, that this kid down the road has broken a world record or whatever. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, when people were eating a lot better than we are now, you know, we had we certainly had less obesity and we had less chronic disease for sure. But we didn't have the advanced training knowledge that we have now because now we've got all kinds of training. We got slingshots and all this technology, all this gym equipment, all this advanced, you know, training knowledge. Tons of steroids. Well, I mean, that stuff too, obviously. But I mean, you know, but just in general, I mean, we're kind of seeing you know, when you couple, like you can use Michael Hart as an example, you know, when you couple good nutrition and, you know, good training, you know, plus or minus the drugs, you're still going to see really high levels of human potential that have never been seen before. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I just go back to when I, just if you go back, you know, in, in, in through anthropology, if you go back to these Gravedians that lived in Central Europe, you know, 30,000 years ago, and all they ate was mammoth for the most part. They were the biggest people that ever existed on the, on the planet Earth. They had the biggest, strongest bones, the biggest, strongest muscles. And so if you start putting a bunch of people on, you know, heavily carnivorous diets in 2018, and they have access to, you know, you know the, the, the monoliths and the, and the slingshots and the, you know, the concept two rowers and all this advanced training techniques, you know, you're, you're, you're going to produce just these monsters, you know, that are just, you know, these were, were, you know, right now you've got, you know, Brian Shaw and, you know, half the, half the Bjornsson and, and Eddie Hall as the freaks, you know, 20 years from now, they may be just like, eh, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah, they're like, now, now, oh, now yeah. Got, yeah, right, you know, but it's it just, it just uh, the, the, you know, it just People helps. Say, uh, remember when uh, Halfway won? He was only six foot nine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, those guys little, are yeah, those little guys. Yeah, he's selling for six guys. Now killing. Hey, you know it's kind of interesting. You know, this is an interesting fact that I, I learned recently. Uh, you know, because Tim Noakes talks about the central governor yeah. thing for uh, you know shutting down uh, how hard you can train. It's not your body; it's giving out. It's your brain that's saying we can't go any harder. And one thing, based on our biomechanics, human beings should be able to run forty miles an hour, right? And Usain Bolt, you know, fast guy in the world, he would he would top out around 28 miles an hour. So what, you know, where are we leaving? What where are we leaving out of our bodies? You know, that mind body connection is preventing us from from really, you know, going to that next level. And I think maybe maybe we'll start to figure that out. You know, you know, we talk about people that, you know, you hear about the PCP guy, the cops. You know, they they wrestled with his guy with PCP, and he had the superhuman strength because his brain wasn't his brain wasn't involved anymore. It was just pure. Yeah. body so i think that stuff is kind of fascinating is what is the true human p- potential maybe you know maybe uh running a thousand miles is is something that you know we can do you know or something crazy on zach spectrum but uh, yeah, yeah i don't it's kind of interesting so what you're saying is I my think, record's gonna get broke by like four hours or something like that yeah. <laughs> well what i was also thinking he's like yeah we can only go a certain amount the brain shuts it off i'm like well not for zach <laughs> it doesn't doesn't it work I mean, that you know the interesting thing that like I always say when I'm talking about like a hundred mile race is uh, like it's really not a matter of 
if you're going to have a mental lapse and slow down when you probably could have gone a little faster, it really is a matter of when and how you kind of manage those experiences. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's almost like it's too long to be out there for your, to like really not have a point where you're like, I can't go any faster and you slow down. And then, you know, maybe an hour later you're actually going faster and you think back, well, why was I feeling like that earlier? And it's like, you, it's really hard to find examples, if any, of people who just kind of went through an entire 100-mile race and had no moment where they were like, you know, felt like they couldn't go any quicker and slowed down as a, as a result at some point. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, like, the other thing I always say, too, is, like, we won't know how fast a human can run 100 miles until someone drops dead right as they cross the finish line. <laughs> yeah, because that's what 100%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I felt that way the other day at my brother's gym. We were only doing thirty-second sprints. <laughs> oh, were you were you guys on the bike or what were you guys doing? On, the, on that bike, man, that thing is brutal. That's the best. I think that's the best exercise you can do. That bike or the roller, you know? Yeah, I, I've told people multiple times. You know, I have one of these Aerodon X's from uh, Octane Fitness. Actually, they sent me one for the house, which is really cool. But I mean, those, you know, whether it's an Aerodyne or an Aerodyne X or an assault bike or Echo bike, that to me, you know, from a from a just a pure, high-intensity, you know, sprint-type stuff, I've never found anything that can substitute that. It's the hardest thing you can do, particularly if, you know, if you as far as you can. And it's, and I, I'm at today, before, my, we did a podcast with Owen Franks in New Zealand All Black, and I, about a half hour before that, I did, did just did a, I, I rode a little bit, then I did a little all-out all sprint, 30-second sprint, and I was just like, you know, still kind of lightheaded. <laughs> Twenty minutes, thirty minutes later, because it's it's at your own level. You know, it's like yeah. your own level is as high as you can bring it. You know, and uh, if you're honest with yourself, you can kill yourself pretty quick. You know. Yeah, the nice thing about that is you can go as hard as you're humanly possible, as, as hard as you can push your body, as much as your mind will let you, and you're not going to get hurt on it. Which I think is something that's kind of nice about that. You know? Now, let me ask you a question because I actually had this as a serious concern. You said you're not going to get hurt on it. Can your heart rate go up too high from doing something like that? Uh, well, I mean, you know, certainly if you've got a pre-existing cardiac condition, there might be some parameters. Well, where no, you're but, but normal, I no. I was no. just concerned, like, can I die from this? I can, your, can your heart explode? You know, I mean, you know, who's a, what was a John Paul Sigmarsson? You remember he died, I think, in training or something like that. So, um, you know, I guess theoretically... Maybe, anything could anything could happen. It'd be pretty rare. It'd be pretty rare. I would not. I would not let that be a concern to limit me okay. from uh, unless you have some known issue that your cardiologist. You've got a cardiologist and saying, "Hey, man, I just really felt I was like, wow, this might be dangerous. I'm not sure. Um, I, you know, I don't know how hard to push it. You know, so that's good to know though, because I, I know I went right to the brink, and I, that's where I should be going. I should well, be there. I should feel like well, well, you know, I, I personally think it's nice to push your bodies, you know, push them pretty hard, you know, fairly regularly, and you know, maybe it's once a week for some people. There's a lot of people that never, ever do that. You know, they'll never, yeah. they'll, they'll never do it their whole life. And I think, again, I think humans were designed to, to, to use our full range of capabilities at least periodically. I think that's help, help. Yeah, and uh, most people aren't doing that. That's why we have uh, ten-minute walks and stuff like that. They're there you go. <laughs> they're just to get people moving, you know. And um, I think uh, a lot of people don't understand also. So, like, if you're really overweight, uh, you have a problem with insulin resistance, which just you know simply means I'm sure everybody knows, but insulin is not working to shuttle things where it needs where they need to go, which is going to actually make you get fat, right? So we wanted to 
avoid that and a way to be more insulin sensitive and use insulin better is to walk right after you eat. It's just a simple, it's like the simplest way to fight, you know, insulin resistance, like even just a little bit. And it, it's worth it for everybody to do that. Like who doesn't like, to, especially if you're with your friends or your girlfriend or whatever, like who doesn't like to go for a walk after you eat? It actually feels good. Yeah. You know, walk off some of that, walk off some of that fat. Hey Chris, hey Chris, what we may have to do a part two because we had some more. Have so much fun yeah. talking. Here, we don't want to get too long. We'll talk to everybody. But yeah, I know. But yeah. So what what do you got coming up in the near future? I mean, I know you got the film. You know, the the, the Leaf of Faith. It's it's just been released. You've got your your new movie. Yeah, you actually, a, a, leaf a, name a, for leaf of, a Leaf of Faith is not out yet. It'll be okay. out um, May 29th. Is the premiere of uh, the debut of uh, a Leaf of Faith? Actually. I think we're going to have a premiere for it like next Monday. So I'll let you guys know. And if you can make it out, that'd be awesome. I know Zach, you kind of live far away, but if you can make it out, it'd be cool too. But um, I'll invite you guys nonetheless. Uh, we're going to premiere uh, Leaf of Faith, and that's about Kratom, which is a natural uh, painkiller. Um, the Kratom that I use, if anybody's interested, I use a website called Natural Organics with an X on it.com, naturalorganics.com. Um, that website, uh, a lot of times in the Kratom, industry you want to make sure that you have like a tested legit product so that's the only one I've ever used so it's the only one I recommend because it's the only one I've ever used uh, and so that film will be out on May 29th and then uh, Mark and I have been doing this movie but we don't want to like exactly say what it's about because we don't know yet it's about nutrition we're interviewing a lot of people and I, I don't really know when it's going to come out either and I think that that's sort of the best way to do these movies is like yeah we're working on something like and then when we're ready, it'll it'll be out. But we're we're definitely working on it every day. I'm I'm putting a lot of effort into it right now. I'm going through all the interviews that we shot and isolating you know little segments and things like that. And then what'll happen is uh, I think the smart way to shoot a film, and this is the way I've done uh, every movie really, is uh, go out and shoot a bunch of stuff, and then you go like, oh shit, we don't have a movie. I I didn't shoot any of the right stuff. I didn't ask any of the right questions. At least that's what you think because we always think that we fail no matter what we're doing. Um, and then you start slapping it together and realize, like, this is awesome, uh, but I need this guy to answer this question and this guy to answer this question. I have, like, Dr. Baker here, but I need, you know, Peter Atia over here to, like, hit this point home or whatever, right? So you, I, now I'll know what I need to get, whether I need to, like, interview you more, whether I need to go get other people or fill in all the blanks, and that's kind of the way I do it, you know? So um, you just go till it's done. What else, what, what else you got going on? What are you, have you got some other stuff? I know you're doing a YouTube channel, and I know you got, I'm sure you got some other events and, and other stuff. channel that's just kind of for fun. Uh, it's called Keto Strong. And on Keto Strong, it's me and uh, Lauren Pappas, who's my, uh, I guess, ex girlfriend, I want to say, but she's awesome. And uh, she does keto also, and she's in great shape. So we just give like pointers and tips on things to eat and things that we're doing, um, whatever, like that. And then also, I have a, um, a TV show that I'm pitching next month that I'm really, really excited about. It's called The Menace of Venice, and The Menace of Venice is about Dan Duchesne, who was the steroid guru in the 1980s of Venice Beach, who basically brought steroids to America. He was uh, he wrote the um, anabolic steroid, uh, underground steroid handbook in 1982, and then when in 1984, when the Olympics came to L.A., it was like game on for Dan Duchesne and uh, all his uh, steroid-selling buddies. So it's a really fascinating, interesting story. Like, what I tell people is, like, this is the chunk of American history that nobody's ever seen, like this sort of athletic sports meathead side of it. And um, I just think it's, it's really fascinating. It's a, 
Breaking Bad in the sports world, you know? Cool, man. That's awesome stuff. And then and then you got your Instagram and some Twitter actually, and some other stuff. That project is being uh, – I'm actually producing that project. I wrote it. Uh, I wrote it, and then it's being directed by uh, Ross and Thurber, who, did, um, who just did a movie with The Rock. So it's going to be – like, hopefully it'll be a big deal. Hopefully it'll get sold. Uh, we don't know yet. You know, it's sort of up in the air. But it's exciting. It's exciting times. We have some really good people uh, involved with it that are, you know, in, from the film industry. The guy who is uh, helping write it with me uh, just wrote a TV show for Dr. Dre. So it's a, it's a good group that we have, and we're just going to make a solid run at it because in the grand scheme of things, what I want to do is put muscle on the big screen in Hollywood again and get people excited about fitness. You know, we don't have anything in the fitness world on TV, and when we do get it, it's something like The Biggest Loser, and it doesn't service people like, you know, us that want to watch things about, you know, we want to watch interesting, fun things about, you know, things that, that about getting in shape. And it's like there's nothing about it on TV. You know, it's just void. You know, it's like it's like it doesn't exist. It only exists on the internet. Let me let me uh, you know, not not to keep us too long, but you know, one of the sort of the newer things, you know, I see a lot of different media outlets besides traditional TV. I know there's like YouTube has a movies now, and you've got all these different. Um, avenues for that is there is, is that is that really changing the landscape about you know will we have instagram movies and, and all this stuff or yeah, what's, what's going to happen yeah, with that I think, I think eventually like i think everybody's getting into making movies um and the, the one thing is like the biggest fear that people have especially like people like me they go like oh uh, everybody's making movies now and like we're gonna have you run out of business it's like no you're not you watch the movies people make on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not in any. So there's a couple people out there that are really talented, will rise to the top of that, make millions of dollars off that, just like they're doing on YouTube and everything else. There's your outliers that will do really well in it. But for the most part, uh, to be a good filmmaker, you have to have, you know, you have to, you have to do the training. You have to go through the work. So uh, it's changed the landscape as far as there's more outlets for things. But <laughs> bless you. There's actually just a lot, a lot more crappy things, uh, but also what's nice is a lot more niche things, like you know the niche little things that we like. Like if I want to find out something about the carnivore diet, what I love about YouTube is I can go and I can watch somebody talk about it. Now it may not be a professionally produced video; it might be you talking on your phone. But if it's you talking on your phone, like you know what you're talking about, and it's free information. So I think, um, I don't know, like I think uh, whatever way you can get information to people. It's great. And so, like I said, there's high quality produced movies, and there's things like, like that I do, right? That are, they, you, know, you put your high quality, and, and they can be good because people put a lot of time and effort into them. They can also be really crappy because they're paint by numbers, and nobody put any time or effort into it, right? And that's the same thing on, on YouTube. You have like really good videos where people uh, they have a lot of information. They're giving out good free information. You have a lot of people giving out bad crappy advice. So it's it's changed the landscape as far as like. There are many more places to watch things, um, but I don't know that it's necessarily made things actually uh, better. Uh, what I think has made things better is podcasts, like what you guys are doing right now. I think this format is what um, where I found the most uh, the most knowledge and the most, um, I guess, the most value it would be in the podcast world. Yeah, I mean, I th that's that seems to be a good source of information for people. So. Zach, why don't we? You want to? You want to? We we should get Chris back down the road if Chris is willing to come on. Maybe maybe yeah, we'll, no, we'll, I think we'll, we'll come we on. We could anytime, man. I farther I, down, yeah. 
Yeah, I just for sure. Thank, I just wanted to uh, thank you guys for having me on. I also really wanted to thank Dr. Baker. I think Dr. Baker, um, you've been really instrumental in everything that we're doing. I don't think that uh, you realize how much of an impact that you've had on on us, uh, but it's been huge. You know, it's really uh, put it this way: you're you're the monkey wrench so far in the movie. You want to talk about like like who are you in the movie? You're on you're on my wall with a picture of a monkey wrench next to it. You're like, okay, well, what if we have all these great things about nutrition, right? And we ha- it's like, oh, we we can eat avocados, we can do this, we can do that. and then all of a sudden here comes Doctor Bacon, and like the whole thing flips around and like some sort of madness that nobody can understand because people have a really hard time understanding when I tell them that I just eat red meat, they really, um, it's, it's not in the, in the public, uh, in the public eye enough yet for people to accept it. You know, people are still freaked out about it, but I think the more we talk about it, the more people will uh, realize what a valuable tool it is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, and I appreciate the, the compliment there, Chris, but I think the, uh, you know, it's so far. It is. It is the ultimate polar opposite of what we've been told. It's so far away from normal nutrition. You know, in in Western society, you know, you you could go to Mongolia and they'd say, yeah, that Tuesday. You know, it would be normal for them. So it's not yeah. that strange in in, in in all of human existence. And I think the nice thing is, it is really knocking down some barriers, knocking down some walls, and making us really rethink how much we don't actually know about nutrition. You know. The RDAs. Well, hell, who are they? Who are they? Who, which population was that based on? A bunch of carb eaters. You know, so so we've got all this sort of. How do we interpret this new data? And I think that's a fun part. And I think we we still got a lot to know, a lot to learn. I mean, I, I clearly will say I, I certainly don't know it all. I'm you know I learn something new every day, and it's still evolving. But I think it's you know as a community, all of us coming together, uh, are you know I think making a lot of making more progress in, in a short period of time than. You know, 50, 60 years of nutritional research. Has Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and it's fun. Like to me, um, finding out a new fact every day about you know this diet or this this way of eating, it's it's really fun, and it's really fun to be able to share that knowledge. Like almost every time I find a new fact, I'll uh, I'll post it on Instagram or I'll bring, it, and I see you doing that too. Like it might not be that you found a new fact, but like you have a new fact that you want to share with people, and um, and I want to say this too. I actually like the fact that you're uh, antagonistic in a lot of your posts because I, I really enjoy it. But I, like, yeah, like I, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm not like the guy that like will get like you know engage people in that way. But I fucking love it because it really gets a lot of people going. But it also, uh, what I should say is, I, I think that you do a really good job of illustrating a lot of points with some of that stuff, even if it does come off harsh to some people and some people do criticize it. I think. We need that. We need you. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to jump. But you know, obviously, I could be the, the the politically correct guy and try to make everybody happy. And I don't. I don't want to water down the message. I think it's an important message, and I do think it's important to put out point out some of the hypocrisy and just show. You know, if if we want to if we want to pick sides here, and I, I really don't like to do that. I think that's uh that's what we were getting at before when we were really getting to the heart of uh you know saying everybody's different. You're willing to say. Like you're willing to take a stand and say, if you just eat meat, a lot of great things will happen to you. Just please try it. You know, like that's really what the the message is, and I, I like that because a lot of people will say, well, if you're like this, you can have this, you can have that. You're like, you're like, no, just try just the meat. Like that's what you told me in the beginning. Just try just the meat on a plate. See how you do for a couple weeks. And go from there. And I and I did that. And I but I think it's the best advice. It was a, it for me. 
uh, what happened by just listening to you and giving in and saying, you know what, I'm going to let you handle it. Like you just said, red meat and water, that's it. By, uh, by doing that, that actually allowed uh, me to just open myself up to see what the results were. You know, whereas a lot of times, like, you go into something with a preconceived notion of what's going to happen, and, and uh, you're already, you're, you already think you know, so you modify it your own way, how you want to do it or whatever. It doesn't, it was just, it was just great to have somebody be so bold to say, like, just do it like this and go, you know? Yeah, well, it's fun. I've been having fun. You know, like I said, I I get my share of detractors, but uh, I've got, you know, by far more people are saying they, they, they benefited. Zach, speaking of meat, I got some ribeyes I just got, so I'm going to go eat those. <laughs> Fire those up, man. So, so let, let's cut this one off, and and, 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 and let's promise to, to hook back up with Chris and do another, because I think we got some great info today. Especially. Sure. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'd love to have you back on, Chris. Thanks again for... Uh, what is it? Episode eight? Episode eight, I think. So I know it's number nine. Or nine, that's right. We did eight this morning. Yeah. All right, we're we almost double up there, man. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to you guys. So thanks a lot, and I'll I'll do it anytime you guys want. Awesome, Chris. Good awesome. luck thanks, to you. I'm, I'm sure I'll hear from you in the near future. So oh, absolutely, man. We'll be back in touch. Hey, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Just a couple quick notes before you leave. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at hpopodcast at gmail.com that's hpopodcast at gmail.com we're both also on social media on twitter you can find me at zbitter that's at z-b-i-t-t-e-r and you can find sean at sbakermd that's at s-b-a-k-e-r-m-d we're both also on instagram where you can find me at Zach Bitter, that's at Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. And for Sean, it's at Sean Baker, 1967. That's at S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R, 1967. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast.